Democrats held a meeting at an undisclosed Washington location yesterday to discuss what the nation should panic about next. With the panic over Brett Kavanaugh's assaults on women fading in light of the fact Brett Kavanaugh hasn't assaulted any women, Democrats fear the U.S. may soon subside into a calm sense that the economy is booming and a newly powerful military is keeping us safe. According to former Vice President Joe Biden, quote, We tried the Kavanaugh drinks too much beer panic and the Kavanaugh gets very angry panic, but they're just not catching on. As things stand, there is a real danger that people will begin to think that Donald Trump is doing a good job just because, you know, he's doing a good job, unquote. In a gathering with reporters after the panic meeting, Senator Chuck Schumer waxed nostalgic over previous Democrat panics, saying, quote, It seems like only yesterday the Statue of Liberty was crying over some trivial immigration nonsense or other. And remember when repealing net neutrality was going to kill us all and leaving the Paris Accord was going to kill us all and leaving the Iran deal was going to kill us all? Man, those were the days, unquote. Sources who attended the meeting said the Democrats discussed returning to the collusion with Russia panic, but feared that might dissipate quickly in light of the fact there was no collusion with Russia. As one Democrat source who wished to remain anonymous put it, quote, you can fool all of the network news departments all of the time and some of the people some of the time, but eventually even CNN is going to catch on to the fact that we're just talking a lot of crap, unquote. Some ideas suggested for the new Democrat panics include the Stormy Daniels is spying for Vladimir Putin panic, the renegotiating NAFTA to our advantage is going to kill us all panic, and the too much world peace makes you flabby panic. As one anonymous Democrat put it, quote, we really have to come up with something before the midterms so we can take back Congress and give the people something they can really panic about. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, it is Thursday, the last day of the Andrew Clavin Show, the brink of the Clavenless weekend, but we have got so much going on. This show may go on for three hours. I've got so much to talk about. This coming Monday, October 8th, Daily Wire will be launching the new season of my podcast series, Another Kingdom, performed by Michael Knowles. If you aren't caught up on the first season, it'll be available Friday, October 5th, on dailywire.com and on the Daily Wire's YouTube channel. Then, on Monday, October 8th, and on every following Monday, subscribers to The Daily Wire will be able to watch new episodes of season two. This season, we've added a dramatic visual component you won't want to miss. I've seen the art. It's amazing. What if you're not a subscriber? Well, you have to wait until Friday to get the new episodes, and you'll only be able to enjoy the visuals at the start of each episode, not through the entire thing. So, that's new episodes with full visuals for subscribers on Mondays and the audio on Fridays for non-subscribers. Head on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. We just, this minute, literally before we came on, we got the first, uh, the first look, what's, what do we call it? A, uh, a trailer. It's a trailer for Another Kingdom. I haven't seen it, but it's uh, got me in it. So let's take a look at it. Hey, everybody. I'm Andrew Clavin. Here's a first look at the amazing audio and visual world we've created for season two of Another Kingdom. So now I was a hunted man. Hunted, haunted, broken-hearted. Whatever she'd been searching for in the look of mine, she'd obviously found it. What consequences? I asked again. 
I fought to stay focused on the real world, the motel, my swiftly approaching murder. I took one last glance around the blood-soaked room. Then I stepped through the veil into another kingdom. Now, season two of Another Kingdom. That's <laughs> very cool. It's very, very cool looking. All kinds of stuff is happening. I'm just, I just hit 100K, 100,000 followers on Twitter. So I'm ready to be banned by Twitter. There is, you don't want to have 100,000 followers on Twitter and be a conservative because they will censor you. And I just want to mention that this is the show where the future comes to rehearse. It's not that people steal my stuff. It's that they only think of it after I do. If you were here, you heard me talking about To Kill a Mockingbird and how that related to the Kavanaugh thing. Remember that? What was that like, Rob? Two weeks ago, something like that? It is now the head op-ed in the Wall Street Journal is all about, hey, this is just like To Kill a Mockingbird. I I talked about The Crucible and then... uh, um, Oh, my gosh. Uh, It was on Fox News. They were playing the crucible. And and the people who have been here, including Michael Knowles, got his start on this show. Uh, Jordan Peterson was here when he had uh, like 600 YouTube uh, hits. Candace Owens came here before anywhere else. And now Jenna Ellis is blowing up. Jenna Ellis had a piece in National Review that's been on hot air and on real clear politics. So this is the place to come. You know, this place saves you so much time. You can just get back to watching, you know, porn and whatever else you're you're watching because you'll have already heard everything everybody's going to say. Especially you want to hear about BattleBox. BattleBox is this incredible subscription service. No girls allowed. This is a men's subscription service. A lot of these subscription services are full of samples and junks, junk you'll never use, but not BattleBox. I got one. It is filled with tried and true, true field-tested survival, outdoor, and everyday carry gear, usable products that have been hand-selected by survival experts for you to carry, use, or add to your emergency stash. No, qu- no kidding. This thing comes with a knife. You could gut an orc with this thing. You could, you could just fight an entire battle. It introduces you to the best products, new gear, and innovative companies at a much lower cost than if you were to buy them individually. Go to trybattlebox.com slash Clavin and pick, pick the box you want. They start at just $25 per month. And by the way, there's no E in BattleBox. It's B-A-T-T-L-B-O-X. There is no E in bo- BattleBox. So right now, our listeners get a free tactical knife. This is a beautiful piece of machinery. When you sign up for your first BattleBox at trybattlebox.com slash Clavin, try BattleBox, B-A-T-T-L-B-O-X dot com slash Clavin. And right now, get your first BattleBox plus a free tactical knife at freebattlebox.com slash Clavin. You know, it's kind of a coincidence. There's also no E in Clavin. It's K-L-A. V-A-N. All right. You know, they have been digging into every possible aspect of Brett Kavanaugh's past. And finally, we have a confession. Here it is. You know, I I think I was a thug (laughs) for for a big part of my uh, growing up. I uh, got into fights. I uh, drank and did... uh, and, and, and consumed uh, substances that uh, weren't always legal. Uh, some of my behavior was self-destructive. You know, uh, yeah, I might uh, 
drink a six pack uh, in an hour before uh, uh, before going back to class. Wait a minute. That, that wasn't Brett. That was Barack Obama. That, that is amazing. An amazing piece of video just reminding us it actually in saying something important that everything, everything the Democrats have done have has redounded on them. Every torpedo they fired has turned around in the water and sunk their submarines. It is amazing. We are on the brink. I try not to report on the future because I don't know what the future is. Nobody knows. But it looks to me, it seems to me right at this minute, that we are on the brink of one of the great political disasters in the Democrat Party's history. This is worse than that time they had to give up their slaves after the Civil War. This is really bad for the Democrats. The FBI thing is in, and just about everybody who's had a look at it, the FBI uh, investigation into Brett Kavanaugh that they said, oh, this is going to be the, this is the thing, this is the one that's going to do it. It has come in, and according to everybody who's looked at it so far, it not only, it doesn't corroborate any, any of the stories that have been told about him, Christine Blaze Ford's stories, all of that stuff is going by the boards, and that means uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, cocaine Mitch McConnell, has now scheduled the vote. I believe it's going to be on Saturday, but he's filed the closure report that he needs to have the vote. This, from the beginning, you've heard me talk about this a million times, even back during the primaries I was talking about this, that Donald Trump has this magical ability to make other people destroy themselves. He has this magical ability to make other people destroy themselves. Marco Rubio, remember when he went after Trump's hands, he was trying to sound like Trump and it just embarrassed himself. Even, you know, Ted Cruz, who I supported, thought he could outsmart Trump, but in fact, Trump was actually out ahead of him all the time. Hillary Clinton, the media, now the entire Democrat Party. Why? Why? Because Trump is fight club. Trump is fight club. You think you're punching the other guy, but you're really fighting with yourself. And that, this is true of Trump. Everything about Trump is them. That is the whole point of Trump. That's why he keeps getting them, because they think he's fight club. They think they're punching another guy, but it's really just them in the guise of Donald Trump. What do they say about him? He's rude. He's rude. He's nasty. But this is after 30, 40, 50 years of them calling us sexist and racist and homophobic and Islamophobic and every name they could think of. But they didn't. Th- they thought that was OK. That was OK because it was them saying it. And they're so virtuous. He's them. They're him. They're punching themselves in the face. It's Fight Club. They say, oh, you know, he's sexist. Who's been protecting the molesters of women all these years? Bill Clinton, Ted Kennedy. You know, who has been doing that all these years? It's them. He's them. Everything they're saying about them redounds on them. It is amazing. He's racist. Who turns everything to race? Who's been spending the last two weeks saying white men, white men? It's all about white men. It's all about the color. Anything you say has to be about the color. You know, who who is hateful, authoritarian, and violent? All the things they call him, it's them. It is them. They are punching the mirror image of themselves. You know, there was this video that came out. I got to play this because it's so amazing. This takes place in Toronto, but it could have taken place here. It has taken place here in effect. There's a a pro-abortion guy standing near a protest of abortion. And he kicks this woman. He roundhouse kicks this woman to defend women's rights. Classic, classic leftism. Play this clip. What? They actually have people filming you the whole time. Classic kill with kindness. Guess what? Hey. Destruction of private property. It's against the law. Somebody gets raped by somebody, and they're like, "I'm a 16-year-old, and I can't have this baby." Think you should keep it? It's a baby. 
If someone was raped and she gave birth and she decided to kill her three-year-old child. I meant to get your phone. He says, I meant to kick the phone. He threw a roundhouse kick at a woman. Uh, the guy's name is Jordan Hunt. He's been fired from the hair salon where he worked. The cops don't do anything about this, by the way, because it's Toronto and they all agree with him. But, but you know, the thing about it is that whole, he's being so reasonable and he's got it. He knows it all. He's so much smarter than they are. How dumb are they? He's a thug, right? He's a thug. And this is the thing. They're shouting at Donald Trump, but everything they say about him, it all redounds on them. Do you remember, like, do you remember when the criticizing the FBI, Republicans criticizing the FBI was undermining our the American establishment and was undermining Americans' faith in their institutions. Do you remember that? Here's here's uh, Morning Joe, cut number one. There's Morning Joe back in January, way, way, whoa, back in the deep, deep backward and abysm of time. They're criticizing the Republicans for attacking the FBI. This dirty pool that is being played by members of, uh, of the Senate and the House and the administration, you're undercutting the foundation of this democracy because you're supposed to preserve it. And you're using it right now well, to try and deflect from possible crimes committed by the president. By the way, and, and, and we talked others. about this yesterday. Uh, today, somewhere in your state, somewhere definitely in your country, there are FBI agents that are going around they're trying to get intel. They're trying to get information. They're trying to break apart terror networks of homegrown terrorists that want to blow up your church, that want to blow up your synagogue, that want to kill you or your family or other people in your community. And it is these FBI agents who stand between you, me, all of us, and future terror attacks how could you criticize the heroic hero heroes of the heroic FBI? How could you how could you stain these wonderful men and women who serve you? You know, because then then the FBI was investigating Russia collusion and Trump and all this. Now they bring in this report, this report that the Democrats begged for, this report that the Democrats said would be dispositive. This would solve the problem. This would be the thing that would clear or condemn Brett Kavanaugh. Here it is. Here's the report. It is finally here. It's not good enough. This is, remember, James Comey gave the marching orders to the FBI through the op-ed of the New York Times, which is where the left talks to itself. He gave the orders. He said, you can do this. You can get this information on Brett Kavanaugh. You can get this thing that the Republicans don't want you to get. Didn't turn out that way. Here's CNN covering, uh, is it CNN? Covering the... Um, the FBI, ABC, I'm sorry, ABC covering the FBI report. Cut seven. The FBI investigation of Judge Kavanaugh is under the microscope this morning. A new report claims the agency chose not to interview several people who knew the nominee in high school or college, and these were people who wanted to tell their stories. ABC senior national correspondent Terry Moran is in Washington with more. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Robin. This FBI investigation was fast, it was limited, and several potential witnesses are now claiming... It was incomplete. Overnight, potential key witnesses in that FBI investigation are speaking out. They're frustrated after they say they were ignored by agents investigating claims of drunken sexual assault by Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. 
In a statement overnight, attorneys for Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who accuses Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her in high school, her lawyers saying, we are profoundly disappointed that after the tremendous sacrifice she made in coming forward, those directing the FBI investigation were not interested in seeking the truth. So now, you know, Trump is Fight Club. Before, the FBI was the heroic heroes of herodom. And now, suddenly, the FBI just cannot get the job done. What a bunch of incompetence. They're hiding the truth. What a conspiracy to, to cover up for Brett Kavanaugh. Every time they try to punch a Trump, they wind up with a fist in their face, their own fist in their own face. And, you know, it's no good saying, well, it was wrong. Okay, well, maybe it was wrong when they covered up for Ted Kennedy leaving a woman to drown. But that doesn't make it right to go after, you know, when Trump says something in a locker room. You know, that's not a good argument. That's not a good argument. The rules of the fight are the rules of the fight. And if you're going to bring it this way. If you're going to bring the fight dirty, you're going to get dirty back at you. And that's what's happening. People are angry. They're tired of it. And why do I say it's a disaster? Well, for one thing, the enthusiasm gap, according to a new poll, the enthusiasm gap between Republicans and Democrats for the midterms has virtually vanished. The right is now thinking, hey, you know, they could do this to anybody. They can do this all the time. They're going to destroy anybody who's got who's a conservative. They're going to rip his life to pieces. I'm going to go out and vote. Trump is at 50 percent, according to Rasmussen. His approval rating is at 50 percent, which is really high for him and is uh, above his disapproval rating. But listen to this. This is the one. This is the thing that really gets me. Brett Stevens. Now, there, I, I actually kind of admire Brett Stevens. I admire his intelligence. I admire his uh, look at international, uh, the international scene. But he hated Donald Trump so much. He, he left the, the Wall Street Journal, basically, and went to the New York Times so he could take pot shots at Donald Trump. He has not said a good word about him. He has been a never-Trumper. When I say never-Trumper, I mean never with a capital N, Trump with a capital T. He hates this guy. Today, he writes... For the first time, and he's writing in the New York Times, too. For the first time since Donald Trump entered the political fray, I find myself grateful that he's in it. I'm reluctant to admit it and astonished to say it, especially since the president mocked Christine Blasey Ford in his ugly and gratuitous way at a rally on Tuesday. Perhaps it's worth unpacking this admission for those who might be equally astonished to read it. I'm grateful because Trump has not backed down in the face of the slipperiness, hypocrisy, and dangerous standard setting deployed by opponents of Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. I'm grateful because ferocious and even crass obstinacy has its uses in life and never more so than in the face of sly moral bullying. I'm grateful because he's a big fat hammer fending off a razor sharp dagger. And he talks about all the different things. And he says at the end that uh, he says at the end, I admit to feeling grateful that in Trump, at least one big bully was willing to stand up to others. See, but the thing is, Brett, that is what everybody else has been seeing all these years. The difference between, and and by the way, I'm guilty of this too. I did that video that got like 17 million hits where I teased people for being so angry and therefore voting for Donald Trump. But now I get it. I get it. I, I see why you're angry. I saw then why you were angry, but I see why Donald Trump is the answer to that anger for you. The problem with Brett Stevens, the problem with so many of us who have a voice, is we don't understand what it's like to be in the majority of the people who don't have a voice. 
Brett Stevens gets to go in the New York Times every day and write what he has to say. I get to come to the Daily Wire every day and say what I have to say. It is a release. It is a sense that you can fight back. It's a sense of not being helpless. But what if you're a mechanic? What if you run a drugstore? What if you uh, work in a real estate firm? And every day, every day for decades, the press, the people who have a voice come on and tell you you're no good. You want to judge? Sorry, we can just throw an allegation at him and destroy him. We can just take him out, even without proof. We can just throw aside, you know, hundreds of years of Anglo-American jurisprudence out the window because we don't like him. We don't like you. We don't like your values. We don't like your constitution. We don't like your history, your tradition, your religion. You're, you're done. Your guy is done. They can do that to you, and you don't get to go to the New York Times and write a column. You don't get to go on the Daily Wire and rant in front of a microphone. Of course you send Donald Trump. They're lucky you just sent Donald Trump. They're lucky you didn't show up with pitchforks and torches. You know, I mean, what what on earth? Why has it been so hard? Why has it been so hard for the Republican establishment, the people who do have a voice to understand the frustration, the decades long frustration of people who don't Trump has given him that voice, and he's done it by being them, by being imitating the bullies who have bullied the people. It, NBC is a bully. CBS is a bully. ABC is a bully. Putting George Stephanopoulos as the head of your news department, a Clinton hack, is bullying. It is saying to people, oh, you know what? You can't touch us anyway, so we're going to do anything we want, say anything we want. We're going to pretend to be objective while really just pushing the Democrat line. You can't do anything about it. Nya, nya, nya. That's basically what neener, neener, neener. It's basically what they've been saying to you. Trump is the answer to that. And look, you know, the other thing that's, that is wrong footing Democrats here is reality. Reality. You know, female unemployment. First of all, the jobs. I don't even know if we've mentioned this. I mean, this is the way the news, the news cycle just eradicates the actual news. The hysteria, the panic that they sell eradicates the actual news. The job numbers for the last quarter were spectacular. They were spectacular. And female unemployment is currently at a 50-year low of 3.9%, less than half the rate it was as recently as President Obama's second term. Cut in half. This summer, the female unemployment rate, I'm reading this from Breitbart, reached its lowest level in 65 years. When you consider how small the female labor force was back then, it's safe to say it's never been easier for a woman to find a job than it is today. So while the Democrats have been covering up for Matt Lauer and Harvey Weinstein and Bill Clinton and Bill Cosby and uh, and Teddy Kennedy, while they've been covering up, they also haven't been serving women. So Donald Trump curses. He hasn't treated women the way you would like a man to treat women over the years. He has been what he has been, although he's been it openly. He wasn't pretending to be anything else. But his policies, the policies that he represents, have helped women. Plus, you know, nobody has noticed this but me, you know. The way they tell the story of the Trump administration is... What a mess it's been. All these people have been fired. This one was fired. He brought in this one and fired and fired, fired. Everybody's fired. But the thing is, he came in here as a neophyte. And what he said he would do was he would learn the job and he would hire the best people. And now suddenly he's got Mike Pompeo, as secretary of state. John Bolton, this is a national security advisor. Sarah Sanders doing a great job fronting for the place. John Kelly is great. And Jim Mattis has been there from the beginning. Jim Mattis, uh, you know, he's like, he's just been cleaning up and, and all of this stuff. You know, ISIS, 
gone, gone from their caliphate is gone. It's reduced to like an outhouse, one of those like port of sands, you know, they have that. That is the caliphate of ISIS at this point. Even stuff you just don't notice. China is suddenly being challenged. You know, I'm going to have, bring on Sebastian Gorka, who's got a new book out. It's one of the best interviews, not only he's ever done with me, it's one of the best interviews I've ever seen Sebastian do, because he's talking about what he really knows best, which is international security. And he talks about China being the main threat. And of course, I remember back during the... Uh, uh, the primaries, I remember playing a funny clip of Donald Trump put to music just saying, China, China, China. Trump got it. Trump got that this is the thing we have to worry about. Gorka is really fascinated about. All right. We are going to go that. We're going to stay on um, Facebook and YouTube, let you listen to Sebastian because it's really a great interview. While you're here, though, flash over to the dailywire.com to dailywire.com. And subscribe because you're going to get another kingdom. It starts tomorrow. You will really, it really is just, even if you just listen to it, the story is great. But the added uh, uh, visuals and animations that they've done are absolutely spectacular. You already know who Dr. Sebastian Gorka is, a Hungarian-American military and intelligence analyst. He's been a Fox News strategist, former deputy assistant to President Trump. And he's got a new book out, Why We Fight. And it's out next week, I think, right? October 9th on Amazon. But I'm sure you can pre-order it now. Like I said, a fascinating interview with Sebastian Gorka. All right, Sebastian Gorka, it's good to see you again. How are you doing? Great to be back, Drew. Thank you for having me. So you wouldn't listen to me. I gave I told you never to write a book, but you have why we fight defeating America's enemies with no apologies. Um, you're not that nice to that nice Mr. Obama. You kind of blame him for weakening our defenses. Is that a fair way to put it? I'm an equal opportunity uh, offender. So I, I give Bush as, uh, as almost as much grief as I give Obama. But yes, look, come on, eight years of leading from behind, which is an oxymoron by itself, in which a small branch of Al-Qaeda creates a caliphate under the name of the Islamic State. Uh, in the same eight years, you have a 70-year-old taboo broken by Russia as it invades its neighbor and takes their territory. And you have China start to build artificial atolls to put military bases in the South China Sea to intimidate our partners. The, the Just one metric. Forget politics, Drew. One metric. Under Obama, we saw the refugee, the global refugee population, mushroom to 65 million human souls. We've never had that many refugees. We had less refugees in 90, 1945 after Nagasaki, Hiroshima, and, and the Holocaust. So, yes, without American leadership, the world is on fire. But that all ended, thank the good Lord, on January 20th. 2017. <laughs> All right. Well, so talk about that in a minute. But right, right this second, if you had to pick a, a global threat that keeps you up at night a little bit, what would it be? My time in the White House taught me one thing. So I came in there as a kind of um, Bill O'Reilly called me a national security utility infielder. But my focus was counterterrorism, ISIS. But once you get the clearances, once you read the top secret SCI reports, I tell you, Drew, there's only one threat that America faces that is truly strategic. ISIS is being crushed. We'll deal with Iran. We're dealing with North Korea. We're going to put Russia back in its box. The only long-term strategic threat we face is China. Mm. And China has a plan to displace America by the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Revolution. And they've been working at it. Political warfare, economic warfare, 
military buildup. But the good news again is after a few weeks, we gave the president uh, three or four classified briefings and he came to the understanding that China is number one. But as long as we've got General Mattis at the Pentagon, I don't have many sleepless nights. Uh, he, is, he is a reassuring presence. Uh, they just they just sent him some of that poison. What is it? Ricin? Is that a ricin? Right. Yeah. Right. I thought that's not going to work on him. You know? <laughs> like, no, he, he, mixed, he mixed it into his gin and tonic. I mean, you know. <laughs> he brushes his teeth with um, So, So now you talk in, in Why We Fight. You talk about the depending on weapons, but also depending on ideas. Yes. I, you don't you don't think China is not necessarily going to launch a strike, a military strike against us? No, they, they don't have the military capability to def- No, Nobody does. Nobody comes close to us. This, we have a nation of 12 nuclear aircraft carriers. China has one diesel powered one. It brought bought secondhand from Ukraine. No, this isn't about this isn't about frontal warfare. Uh, their philosophy, it's called unrestricted warfare. It's indirect. It uses non-kinetic means. It uses things such as cultural warfare. Your viewers should, should Google Confucius Institutes and look at these series of institutes based in America that are pumping cultural messaging into the United States to undermine us. This is It's not just you know the Alinskyites that want to destroy Judeo-Christian a civilization. It's also the Chinese. So it's political warfare. It's economic warfare. Um, so it's not going to be, it's not World War II. It's not saving Private Ryan. It's this whole panoply of tools that will chip away at us over the decades, but not for the next six years. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's not as, I mean, this, the Soviet Union did this and they did pretty well. Well, they got Bernie yeah. Sanders in the Senate. If, <laughs> so that's, that was a, that was a big win. Um, Well, after he took his honeymoon in the Soviet Union. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, so you talk about the will to win, and certainly uh, when you use the words will to win, the face that appears in my mind is not Barack Obama's face, oddly enough. Uh, (laughs) Does America still have a will to win? I point your viewers to perhaps the most historic speech the president has uh, so far given. And that's the one he gave in Warsaw. Uh, he, w- the Polish government wanted him to, s- to talk downtown some highfalutin fancy place. We said no. We wanted to stand right where the Warsaw uprising began against the fascists. And it wasn't easy, but we got him there. And he gave this speech. And the penultimate paragraph is, 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 is still sh- sends shivers down my spine. He asked, the question of the age is, does the West have the will to defend the values upon which it was founded? And that's the question. That's the question. Uh, Under Donald Trump's leadership, we're going to claw back uh, a position that we should have, we rightly had in the past. But what's going to happen to Europe? What's going to happen to all the other nations that, that share our heritage? That's another question. But if you look at the military, you look at the economy, we are now on an upward trajectory, um, which is quite stunning, quite stunning. But the will to fight, that's a deep philosophical, cultural question. We need at least another six years of rebuilding to get close to where we should be. 
when you know when you say this, you remind me of uh, Whitaker Chambers, uh, that great book Witness, uh, where he yes. really believed he fought communism by exposing a, a former communist spy. He fought com- communism by exposing Alger Hiss, but he he always believed that the communists were going to win. And he really believed that we did not have what it took to stand up against them. Now, the fall of the Soviet Union certainly seems to have delayed that. But it also seems to have spread the idea of socialism like a virus through our culture. The fact that we're openly talking about it, the fact that The New York Times is touting the good old days of uh, the the Soviet Union. Uh, Do you see uh, Trump is so hated by the mainstream uh, elite? Do you see him changing the culture at all or is he going to be a, a blip? on our downward uh, spiral. Well, look, Whitaker Chambers is one of the characters that I, I discuss in, in Why We Fight, because he truly was an American hero. He didn't wear a uniform, didn't carry a gun. But what happened, what, what's happening now to Judge Kavanaugh happened to Whitaker Chambers in 1948, a guy who was prepared to tell the truth in the first ever televised congressional hearing. And this man may have been a former communist, but they accused him of being a pedophile, a homosexual, cheating on his wife. They even accused him of being responsible for his brother's death. None of it was true. So the idea that you know the left has just discovered the, the tools of, of personal character assassination, they've been doing it since the 1940s, Drew. So um, I don't think Donald Trump is a blip because deep down, we didn't lose the will to fight. It was buried under a an ice uh, layer uh, of, of political correctness. When you go with the president to a campaign rally, when you watch the, the rally he gave a couple of days ago, he connects. Why? Because he taps into the deep American spirit of all those people, whether they're working class, manual laborers, whether they're, they're rich, whatever. He, he says, look, we are the greatest nation on God's earth, and they know it in their gut But now, Drew, the big difference is now you're allowed to say it. Mm. Yeah, that does make a big difference. It makes a huge difference, I think. You know, I'm really interested to hear what you said about Islam, putting it so far beneath the Chinese threat, putting the Chinese threat so far above it. Uh, You've kind of um, spoken a lot in the past about Islam, and you've spoken very honestly about the threat of Islam do you now, would you now agree there were a lot of people, Obama among them, who said that we are uh, falling into their hands when we overemphasize the threat of terrorism, that not that many people are really killed by terrorism, but the problem with ter- terrorism is indeed the terror that it spreads. Do you think that that's true or do you think they still represent, is, at least radical Islam, still represents a genuine threat to the country? Oh, what I call the global jihadi movement absolutely represents a threat, but it's not on the scale of China. You you have to take it seriously because because what happened on September the 11th, we had um, a a bunch of handful of guys kill 3000 people in 102 minutes. There's very few wars in which you kill 3000 people in 102 minutes, even with a chemical weapon. It's hard to do that. So, yeah, we have to take them seriously, but there's no homogeneity in the Islamic world. There's no central command structure. There's no Beijing Politburo. And also there's a cultural um, socioeconomic disadvantage. Drew, to quote the great Bernard Lewis, you do know that there isn't an Arab motor car, so that there's no Arab Ford motor car company. There is, but there isn't even an Arab bicycle manufacturer. Hmm. Their own theology 
this 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 clash between reason and revelation in which revelation dominates has meant that there is an in, in, inveterate hobbling of this culture, which means they could never become the Soviet Union. They could never become the People's Republic of China. But the People's Republic of China is billions of people controlled by one party. And that's why in terms of ranking, China is right at the top. Terrorism is still an issue, but we'll deal with it. I, I want to turn to this Kavanaugh thing. It's It has yeah. really been, it's been, I have to say, it, it's actually been one of the very few political events that has bothered me uh, because of the virulent uh, hatred of the left and the dishonesty of the press. Through through this, for the first time in my memory, I know you're a, a Trump-loving fan, but for the first time in my memory, Trump has seemed very cool about this. Uh, he has not uh, blasted back. He went off a little bit on uh, Christine Ford yesterday, probably, unfortunately, that was probably a mistake strategically. But up till now, he's been very cool. You want an FBI investigation? Fine. Whatever the senators say, fine. W- what do you think that reflects about Trump's stance in this? What, what do you think he is he's thinking as he watches this unfold? I, 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 I have certitude that I know what he's thinking. You have to remember that Two things are at play here. Number one, he's he has a preternatural political instinct. Yep. You, you can have issues with his tweets and his use of language and misspeaking. It's totally irrelevant. I have never, I mean, you can talk about Newt Gingrich, Steve Bannon, you, you can talk about all, no, irrelevant. This man has a supernatural political instinct and, and he's walking a line and he knows what line to walk. And I think the speech, he, the, the, the points he made about Ford yesterday were the right thing to do because he had to send a signal. I mean, the, the right is beside itself at what's being done to this godly man, Brett Kavanaugh, and they have to be sent a signal that the president's not going to back down. That is what he should have done, and that's what he did. The other thing is, and I, I can speak from personal experience, given my time in the White House, he has walked this gauntlet. I mean, when I was in the White House, I got attacked. That's fine. But when you attack my wife, my teenage children, you attack my dead mother, that that tells you the stakes of the the the, the war that the left is engaged in. And the president has been the first, but he's been on the front line taking all the bullets for everybody. So he knows what Kavanaugh is going through. He knows it from personal experience, and that why that's why he's being extra judicious in in his uh, overt handling of the case. You know, uh, my my respect for Mitch McConnell has risen over the last several months. I mean, I always I feel he's an institutional guy who kind of knows how to play his institution. Do you think he can uh, he's going to pull this off? Do you think he's going to get the votes he needs? Look, I have I have massive problems with with McConnell and with the GOP establishment writ large. Um, but I think in this case, he there's more of a chance of him stepping up to the plate for one reason. Mitch McConnell, since the inauguration, has been obsessed with one thing. He made a decision very early on that he's not going to fight for ambassadors. He's not going to fight for the president's broader policies. His one legacy before he retires is the judicial bench mm. and making sure that the best conservative candidates are all over the federal court system. And he's already helped to push through, what, more than 60 of them? 
So, so he made a decision to say, I'm going to pick one thing and it's going to be judges in Trump's first term. He has made that happen. He hasn't supported the president on, on other things like Obamacare and everything else, but he took this very seriously as a personal mission. And God willing, he, he has put Brett Kavanaugh inside that legacy. Mm. That, you know, he's another, he may be the highest court in the land, but Brett Kavanaugh is another judge and it's part of Mitch McConnell's legacy. And if that's true, then, you know, knock on wood, this Friday, we'll see uh, a motion, and then hopefully at the weekend, we'll see a vote. Excellent. Sebastian Gorka, you have descended to the level of an author. Why we fight uh, defeating America's enemies with no Sorry. apologies. <laughs> it's great talking to you and uh, really, really interesting conversation. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Drew. Keep doing what you do. All right. Thanks. All right. Really good interview. Really smart guy. All right. Uh, I, I just have to mention that these, that test that went off yesterday where the president uh, had a means now of sending to all our cell phones. And there's been a lot of hilarious stuff going on about that. Uh, the first thing I thought is, oh, no. You know, the last thing I want is the president to be able to contact all our cell phones like at two o'clock in the morning. Michael Moore says, make no mistake about it. This is the world in which we now live. Trump gave us a preview of the state of emergency as he is creating to justify the end of democracy as we know it. Resist, he says. That's Michael Moore. What I thought was that, you know, Halloween is coming and a 1,300 foot wide skull shaped comet that always seems to swing around the earth near Halloween. There's a, a computer rendering of it. But the real picture looks even scarier because it's just this kind of fun. It looks like a gigantic skull hurtling toward Earth. It's coming back again this year and uh, hopefully will miss us. This is 2015. But I just thought that that should have been the, the message that you got on your phone. You said, oh, my God. All right. So that's stuff I like. If artistry doth elevate nor slam us down into the muck, if song sublime or sonnet gay, it's stuff I like, may Andrew say. <laughs> that was John Sundell, man, with too much time on his hands. Um, all right. You know, we're going to do some Halloween stuff I like because I like scary stuff. I saw, Here's something I hated. I'll take a, a uh, feather from Ben's hat here. I'll do some stuff I hated. I saw this movie Hereditary, which got these wonderful view, uh, wonderful reviews. Uh, and I just, I thought it was terrible. Now I have to say though, that I, I bring it up. I don't like to attack, you know, other people's work, but I bring it up. I, I didn't think it was that scary. Uh, it had one, you know, wonderful performances. Uh, it had, you know, great actors in it. It has uh, Tony Collette is great. And uh, Gabriel Byrne is great. And it's about a mother of a family, a matriarch of a family dies, and then all this evil stuff starts happening, and what's it all about? And I would ask people, I asked a lot of people, like, you know, I don't like horror movies. I don't like gore and bloodshed. What I like is spooky stuff. You know, I like stuff that just makes you feel like, give a little shiver and kind of be feel disturbed. And everybody said, oh, yeah, that's what this is. That's what this is. This is, it's a gore fest. I mean, it's just like people's heads being cut off and children say, I, like, I, I can't stand that stuff. And I, I didn't find it that scary on top of everything else. What I like, though, is stuff that just really creeps up behind you. And I have been reading a lot of Susan Hill this year. Susan Hill is the woman who wrote the novel Woman in Black, which became the famous uh, two-hander, I think it's a, yeah, it's a two-hander play in London, which has now been running, I think, since Queen Elizabeth, the first Queen Elizabeth was queen. It has been running there forever. 
I've told this before, but I went and saw it. I just walked in off the street one day and went to see it, and I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, just a simple, old-fashioned ghost story. And uh, I stood up during the it, it, the first act ends with a big scare, you know, and it really got everybody in the theater. And I stood up, and as I stood up, my chair, it was a theater chair, you know, folded up and caught the woman's in back of me, caught her foot in the chair, and she let out a shriek like a girl in a horror movie, and I just went through the roof, you know, <laughs> like everybody was so on edge. But, you know, I went and I read the novel Woman in Black, and at the time, I, I don't think I was paying enough attention to it, and I, it, it didn't get to me, but I decided I kept hearing so much good stuff about Susan Hill, and by the way, I, I'm on her Twitter feed, and I think she's a bit of a Tory, so she's she's one of us. Uh, but I, so I decided to go back, to go back and read her stuff again. I've been reading it all year, and I just think it's wonderful. I think she is a modern master of the old-fashioned ghost story. And let me recommend one uh, one of her stories. It's in a collection called The Traveling Bag, uh, but the story is called The Front Room, and it is a deeply, deeply disturbing and creepy story about a couple who goes and hears a sermon at church and the pastor quotes Isaiah, share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and they are moved to do an act of kindness. And you know the old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. That is what happens and it is just a eerie and spooky and philosophically disturbing story, The Front Room by Susan Hill. It is definitely stuff I like. All right, that is it for me. The Clavenless weekend is upon us, but not utterly Clavenless because Another Kingdom Season 2 is coming. You will be able to watch the whole Episode 1 uh, on Friday, and Episode 2 will be available. Part of it will be available uh, for everybody. You'll be able to listen to the whole thing, but you can watch the animations and stuff like that, all the other wonderful stuff they've uh, added to it if you subscribe to dailywire.com, which you should anyway for the simple reason that we want your money. All right. When we get back, we will probably have had the vote on Brett Kavanaugh, so there'll be a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. If you can just stay under your bed until the Clavenless weekend is over, survivors can gather here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.